0: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's
1: sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to Episode 156 with my guest, Sophie Bull. This episode is sponsored by Nature Box, a monthly subscription service that delivers better snacks straight to you, and not just any snacks— Real snacks. No high fructose corn syrup, no hydrogenated oils, no artificial, <laughs> no artificial flavors or colors. Smarter snacks. Go to naturebox.com to get 50% off your first box with promo code HAPPY HOUR. Again, naturebox.com, promo code HAPPY HOUR. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Two hours of honesty about all the battles in our heads. I wonder if like 10 years from now it'll be, this is the mental illness happy hour, seven hours of honesty about all the battles. Because the show, when it first started out, it was about an hour long. And then I was like, you know what? I think we can push it to like an hour and 10. And here we are coming up on our, our three-year anniversary. And I uh, <laughs> can't seem to get the show below uh, below two hours. Because um, there's so many compelling surveys to uh, to uh, to read. Um I hope they're not getting repetitive to you guys, but and again, that's why I put them at the uh, the end of the show because um, you don't want to listen to them. Go fuck yourself. Haven't said that in a while. Anyway, the website for, uh, as I said, I'm Paul Gilmartin, Martin. There's the Mental Illness Happy Hour, two hours of honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Please go there and uh, join the forum, read a blog, uh, take a survey, see how other people t- took surveys, um, support the show, make a donation, buy a t-shirt, buy a coffee mug, buy some coffee to go in the coffee mug. Um, and do your Amazon uh, shopping through our search portal. Uh, enough of my yakking. Let's uh, let's get to some of the um, some of these surveys. This is from the Shaman Se- or uh, struggle in a sentence survey filled out by um, a woman who calls herself Biotic about her anxiety. She writes, "Like my brain is balancing too many equations to produce one right answer." Um, this was filled out by woman who calls herself the Scandinavian, about her depression. It's like swimming through a swamp every waking hour while having the rest of the world asking why you're tired. About her alcoholism and drug addiction, you're fighting the urge to switch from black and white to colored TV. That one really, really struck me. Boy, do I relate to that one. Um, this is filled out by Is This Real Life? Uh, a woman um, and... About her depression, I want to lay in bed all day for days and want everyone in the world to fuck off. But then I get lonely, laugh out loud. It's a lose-lose situation. About her anxiety, oh shit, I shouldn't have done or said that. Am I going to get fired? Does everyone hate me? Worry, worry, worry. About her alcoholism and drug addiction, more, more, more. This time it will be fun again related to that one. About her love addiction. Loving men who are narcissistic and abusive to the point of total and complete annihilation, then frantically trying to, quote, make it better while sinking deeper into desperation, depression, and humiliation. About her sex addiction. This will feel good. This will be worth it. Then comes the shame. About her codependency. If I can just find someone to love me, I will be okay. Oh God, please don't let me die alone. And about her PTSD. Why is it still there? I don't want to feel this. Make it go away. <laughs> and then any comments to make the show better? I love you, Paul, but for the love of God, stop interrupting people. Hugs. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, I want to, and I, I, you are not the only one that has given me that uh, that note, and I think I'm better at it than I used to be, and I do try to be conscious of it. Sometimes I get a little excited. Um and I just wanted to read this um email. Sometimes when people send me an email and say I've decided to start going to uh support groups, I'll email them back and say first of all, high five, and then I'll say give me an update in a couple of months because I just I love to to hear that people are growing and healing and and finding that that light that uh, that I found that saved my life. And um so uh this guy who calls himself Zin Gandhi Um, that's his name in the forum and um, he writes uh, you wanted to let me know how the support group went so here I am Um, It went good. It's led by two young women. I think they're both working on doctorate programs. They're both beautiful. I'm especially attracted to one of them. I'm pretty sure I did a good job with stopping myself from staring. I definitely don't want to cross any boundaries or look like a pig. They're both sincerely kind and patient. There were six members tonight, mostly hoarders, but two of them had similar OCD issues as myself. I talked about some of my history and what brought me to the group. I deal with similar unwanted thoughts that Maria Bamford had brought up on your show. By the way, thanks for sharing some of your disturbing thoughts in order to help Maria seem less odd in that episode. I focused on some of my violent thoughts. I didn't get into the most taboo stuff, but what I did bring up definitely eats up a good amount of time and energy. The group is called Goals. Before the next person speaks, we're asked to come up with a goal to work on for the next two weeks. My goal is to stop myself from checking my car tires for remnants of bodies.
0: Oh God, I wish I didn't need to take meds.
1: cried like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got into therapy. Let's talk about that. So I was like, fuck it, I'm alive, I don't give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm
0: worried that the uh, Russian militia is coming over the hill.
1: I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good, pretty good.
0: Like <laughs> I... <laughs>
1: I'm here with Sophie Bull, who uh, is a listener, who contacted me, um, and uh, we decided to, to record because I think your, your story, at least from the emails and stuff, sounds uh, interesting to me. Uh, you live in Orange County, which right. isn't far from here. Where were you raised?
0: I was raised in Orange County. I was born in England, but uh, moved to Orange County when I was three, so I'm an Orange County girl.
1: Okay. Uh, can I ask how old you are?
0: I'm 27.
1: Okay. Uh, where would be a good place? Uh, I guess some of the broad strokes in your in your story that, uh, you know, I we're going to talk about the main one uh, that, that we talked about in your email to me is that you struggle with hearing voices,
0: right? Um, hearing voices. That's a new affliction. And I'm also bipolar and I have borderline personality disorder.
1: Okay, so we got a, we got a cornucopia yeah, of, uh, of, uh, <laughs> of issues. Where would be a good place to start with your story?
0: Um, I guess right at the beginning. Um, I think the first time I was depressed was age seven, so pretty early on. And I had a great family and great family life, wonderful parents, and all they wanted was for me to be happy. So it was really tough on them, I think. When I started to get depressed,
1: is there mental illness in your family?
0: Um, there is, yes. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, because it would be shocking to me if somebody, um, who had it and was raised in a you know fairly stable environment,
0: right? That right. it just
1: came out of uh, came no- out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. So go ahead.
0: Um. So after that, um. So the borderline really started to show early on. I started self harming when I was about twelve. Um, And then to
1: how would you self-harm?
0: I started by cutting. Now um, I do something kind of weird. I take salt and ice and put it on my skin and it creates a like frostbite um, and it leaves a pretty bad scar. So I'm still struggling with that. Um, Off and on, I struggle with it.
1: Where did you come up with that?
0: I don't know. That's a good question. I think it was something that like me and a friend just did. One day we heard about it and we tried it just a little bit and then it just stuck with me. So, yeah. yeah. Um after that, I um to, you know, to compound the issue, I started a relationship when I was 12 with a guy who was 22. And that was um you know, really devastating Af- after the fact I realized how devastating it was. Uh, at the time, I thought I was really sophisticated and I was totally in love. And I mean, he was this guy from my church, so it was just really fucked up, I think.
1: This yeah. is I think the sixth interview in a row that I've recorded where somebody in a church just fucked somebody up.
0: I think because it's supposed to be a safe environment, and so parents and adults had their guard down. And so it's like a really easy place for predators to prey on children.
1: Let me tell you, parents... That's where your that's where your guard should go up yeah. from from what I've heard. But actually, most of the damage was done by quote unquote really religious parents who oh, okay. inflicted their their rage and filtered it through um, their perversion of of religion. Right. Um, I just have to correct you <laughs> on using the word relationship, okay? Because th- that's so unkind to yourself that that um that suggests that
0: i was an equal part in it you was an i e- mean e- you it were was equ- sexual yeah. abuse you know at the yeah, end of the thank day you. so you're right thank yeah. you for saying
1: that and and i do that for you i don't do that to to shame you at all mm-hmm. i you know i i say that for you and for other people out there that think of themselves as a tiny adult who who had a choice in the situation you know yeah. they're um,
0: but at the time i you know I totally thought I was in control of the situation. I thought I was an adult and I was really precocious as a you know as a young teenager, so I thought you know this was it. I was totally ready for it and was
1: was there a lack of attention in your life that that this filled this attention from um, this person?
0: I don't think so. I mean, my parents were really attentive, and I have great male role models. I don't really know where it came from what you know? was
1: it about him that made it uh, attractive to you? Um,
0: well, we actually, we were part of a, like a theater arts troupe in our church, and we were doing the production of Godspell, and he was playing Jesus. That so was <laughs> totally fucked up. <laughs> so I don't know if there was like some hero worship going on, you know, and he was really charismatic and...
1: There's a word I've been waiting to, to break out in the in the podcast, and it's awesomeful
0: <laughs> that's a good word
1: uh it th- there are moments of awesomeful in in you know i think i think of the episode with ronnie schiller where the guy who was abusing her drove a van that had the boston logo on the side of it <laughs> and we both laughed about it and um you know, new listeners. I'm certainly not laughing at the situation. I'm, you know, I'm laughing at the ridiculousness of right. the of the the irony or the the what whatever. I, oh my god! No. <laughs> oh my! And I'm glad you can laugh about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Is it? The, what does it feel like to be able to laugh about that that part of it?
0: Um, it feels good. I mean, you have to find i mean it's not a positive thing but you have to find something to laugh about and everything otherwise life would just be so horrible to deal with you know yeah Yeah. the
1: absurdity that's i feel like that's a safe yeah like a safe component of tragedy yeah exactly to to find
0: and it was definitely absurd so oh my
1: god so who were you playing in godspell
0: I was, I can't remember. I was just like one of the flock. I don't know. So. You
1: should have been Mary Magdalene. <laughs> so yeah. go ahead.
0: Um. So after that, things went pretty well. Like all through high school, I was involved in activities. The depression subsided. Um, everything was great. And then...
1: Can we back up for a second? Sure. One of the things that I, I like to talk about, if you're comfortable talking about it, is the manner in which... um. These uh, predators uh, get their way. What they say, how they act, how they groom mm-hmm. people. I want to. I want to understand more how they get away with it. And mm-hmm. um, I guess in the hopes that someday maybe there can be a telltale warning signs that right. we can share with with children. You know, beware if this starts happening. Right. If this happens, this is not. This is not okay. Even though it may be exciting to you, are yeah, you, are you comfortable talking yeah. about the details? Yeah,
0: um, so I mean, it started off, so <coughs> you know, this theater arts troupe, and every when you do like a theater production, everyone gets really close really fast. You're working together like every day. And
1: and it's exciting and like yeah. the bonding is like exactly. you being yourself you're letting your freak flag fly yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> you're being expressive and you're yeah. not being judged yeah, yeah.
0: so i mean we're all we all felt really close to each other i mean it wasn't a real closeness because it's not something that like you build up over time it was kind of superficial but so i was feeling comfortable with everyone and um, I sort of admired him anyways, and we exchanged screen names. This is back in the day when you do the AOL instant messenger. And so we started talking online, and I felt safe with him. And he treated me like an equal. You know, he didn't treat me like a child. So I think that's something that people have to look out for, or children need to look out for. And it's hard to recognize because you want to be treated equally when you're young, especially when you're around that age, 12 or 13, you know, you want to be treated as an adult.
1: And to me, a red flag right away is somebody having an online yeah. relationship yeah. with with that age difference.
0: Yeah. And it, it, um you know, it progressed where we started hanging out one on one. And then I would sneak out of my house, and he would come pick me up and take me back to his apartment. And it just, at the time, I thought it, you know, like, you know, I thought it was a real relationship. I know now it wasn't. And even, I mean, for years after that, I I always saw it was, like, a great thing, this great experience. You like want to be older. It's yeah. like you're, you
1: know, I'm 12 and a half. Yeah, it wasn't you know until, I
0: mean? like, my early 20s when I really came to terms with the fact that it was sexual abuse, it was child abuse, and... Like it was something that was very harmful to me.
1: Was it when you became his age that you could see I, it?
0: Yeah, I think so. Because I started to realize, wow, like imagine me, you know, getting into some situation with a twelve-year-old boy. Like that would that just seems terrible. What did you, you know? What
1: did you feel or think when that moment hit you?
0: Um, I felt really like. I felt like I was taken advantage of. I mean, obviously, I was physically taken advantage of. But I felt like everything I had thought about sort of who I was, like I was this adult and I was sophisticated, like it was all a lie. And it really like sort of cut me down to size, I guess. I
1: think that's what hurts the most about sexual abuse is the being tricked.
0: Yeah. And it's hard now because... I don't know, you know, if I met him today, if I saw him today, I don't know if I'd punch him in the face or hug him. You know, there's still that part of me that remembers, like, thinking I was totally in love with him. And so that's really hard to deal with, even though, you know, knowing that it was abuse and still having that tenderness for him. You know, it's really shocking and upsetting to me.
1: Thank you for sharing that part of it, because I think that's one of the most difficult things in confronting the abuse that happened to you, um, to us is that it's so complicated because there are often positive feelings towards the abuser and we feel like we're throwing them under the bus to call them a predator mm. or whatever um, because we do often see that humanity that... But then we also think to ourselves, was it all an act? Was there actually? Yeah. Um, but, you know, my my thought is uh, I don't think there can be genuine tenderness between somebody who is in the state of abusing somebody it to me it all fun- falls under the heading of of grooming and and mind control um i think i don't know that that's just my personal opinion um but getting getting back to the 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 time that you spent with him like what would he what would he say to you to introduce um the physical aspect.
0: Well, I think, and this is something that's really difficult for me to swallow, is I think, I mean, I think I instigated it. Like it's, I, I don't know if he was so smart at grooming me that, you know, that I thought I was in charge of the situation. And, you know, we started talking online and then I don't remember if I brought it up or if he brought it up, you know, like, oh, come pick me up or, you know, and I trust, don't
1: trust me he was grooming you yeah. this was this was him from the moment that he began an email relationship with you that was beyond you know maybe just yeah you know i hey i'm having trouble with this part can you you know can i email you yeah sure mm-hmm. you know like i get i get emails sometimes from girls that are like 15 years old and they're like i'm cutting i don't know what to do well clearly i'm going to email them back and say um Go see a therapist, you know, whatever. But I, I think that's there's a there's a qualification to a relationship with somebody who is age inappropriate on the internet. And to me, it just sounds like this guy, right out of the gate, he knew what what he wanted. Yeah. Who was the one that suggested that you begin corresponding via email?
0: I don't remember.
1: Okay. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, um, so the you you remember that you initiated, you wanted to take it further. And I hope you don't blame yourself for that, because it's up to the adult to know what is appropriate.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just hard to swallow. It's hard to wrap my head around. And it's, it's hard for me. I think it's hard for me to understand because I have great male role models. I was never abused by anyone else, like physically or emotionally. So it just came out of nowhere. And that's something that's really hard to deal with. Like, where did this come from? Like, how was it so easy for me to be preyed upon?
1: I'm glad you shared that because I know there are so many listeners that are feeling and thinking that same thing. And so then they want to go to the place of, well, I must be inherently bad or perverted or I hate the word "slutty." Yeah, to have yeah. wanted that, and it, it breaks my heart to think that somebody is putting any of the blame on themselves. When, mm-hmm. when, uh, where, where are you today with viewing that thing? Have you let go of the the shame and the um, the blame?
0: Um, intellectually, I have. You know, <laughs> like I I understand now that I was so young and that I was being manipulated and. That, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand why I, you know, why I did it. But, you know, it happened. But emotionally, I think I still hang on to that. I still feel shame about it, you know, and that's hard to get over. Well, the
1: fact that you say why I did it. What do you mean? (laughs) You're inferring that it was your decision.
0: Oh, right. Like that I had the power yeah. yeah, when and I didn't.
1: That's the part of the sick genius of the predator is they make you think that you have a choice yeah. in this. They they sense what you long for as a child and they pervert that need for it to, to lure you into mm-hmm. what it is that they want from you. And they give you the illusion that you wanted it when what y- you probably wanted was so much more pure than that, that you, you know, it, I would imagine that yeah. you just wanted the attention from this guy.
0: I thought I was totally in love. Like, I thought it was true love. Like, this was a, you know, wonderful, magical thing, you know? And it, and it's totally, uh,
1: I, you know, I remember having a huge crush on my sixth grade teacher.
0: Hmm.
1: Totally appropriate mm-hmm. to have that crush. But, uh, you know, our crush when we're 12 years old is a fantasy.
0: Right. It's, yeah, it's a fantasy, and
1: and they prey on that. They yeah. prey on that fantasy, mm-hmm. knowing what the long term effects of it of it are. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what I want to point out for for the people that are listening. You know, I'm not trying to be your therapist. Um, I just those little cracks in in our defense of of wanting to avoid the reality that we were helpless and vulnerable. Um, I want to try to fill those cracks mm-hmm. so that we can recover more easily. Cause I go through the exact same things that, that you, even though our situations were different, I go through the same mind fuck of, mm-hmm. um, well, why didn't I say this feels weird? I don't want to do this. Why did, why did I go along with it? Right. You know, why, you know, et cetera, etc. etc. Et, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And, um. I just feel like that's that's important for for people to begin to understand how powerful that adult figure is to us and and what a uneven match we are emotionally and intellectually cuz we're we're like these little sponges that mm-hmm. just want love so badly and want to be older and yeah
0: i think it's that combination wanting the love and the affection and also Mm -hmm. wanting to be this mature beyond our age person
1: to where we have autonomy and power and that's used that's used against us that you know Mm -hmm. yeah come on into the adult world it's all going to be okay yeah um so go ahead um
0: Well, I guess moving on from there, yeah, like I said, things were great for a while. And then um, went away to college, uh, moved up to San Francisco, started experimenting with drugs and, you know, the usual drinking and all that. Usual, like... Had you
1: been pretty straight-laced before Yeah, I
0: had, yeah. But it's like usual college stuff. I mean, I know not everybody does it, but I thought... You yeah, once again, I thought, like, this is me being mature, like, sort of being cosmopolitan and open-minded. And do
1: you have your cigarette in a cigarette holder? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I wish. I think about that. I still smoke, so that would uh, be nice. It would be sophisticated. You
1: were at college then? Yeah. And what were you studying?
0: Uh, creative writing.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, and at that point, that's when I had my first hypomanic episode. I'm bipolar, too, so not the full mania, but... Electric boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> what i don't understand that reference it still made there me laugh
1: a, there was a movie in the mid 80s a really cheesy movie about break dancing called break into electric boogaloo okay. and one of one of my listeners uh, co- either coined that or passed that on to me and it just made me laugh so hard okay. so whenever bipolar 2 comes up we call it electric okay. boogaloo <laughs> That's a good. You got to be an effort. old, an old fuck like, uh, like me to uh, uh, to get that. I was feeling that. embarrassed
0: for a second. Oh
1: no, the know. embarrassment is all mine for <laughs> digging up a thirty-year-old uh, reference. Yeah, uh,
0: well, I I was working thirty hours a week and I was taking eighteen units of you know classes and I was partying full time, so I was really just doing everything. Wow. And you know, I thought I unmedicated. Un, yeah, unmedicated. And uh, eventually, I just crashed. I actually got pneumonia. And had to move home. Um, and But still, you know, didn't really do anything about it. I didn't really recognize what it was. I just thought that I was really productive and, you know, having a lot of fun. And, you know, this was great. Not, not and, needing sleep or? No, not really needing sleep. You know, maybe three or four hours a night. Describe and...
1: what the hypomania. And hypomania means it's just kind of below full-on mania. Yeah,
0: my understanding is that with mania, you sort of lose... Your ability to reason and to have judgment mm. so and then you might have delusions and hallucinations but with hypomania you still have that high energy you know not necessarily sleeping but you're not going to be you know coming up with crazy ideas or you know being delusional Hypo- like
1: that. Ma- hypomania is mania for underachievers oh
0: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I I'm feel I'm, no.
1: I'm <laughs> kidding, of course. I feel
0: less than. Now. I have <laughs> experienced
1: uh, what has been, you know, called uh, hypomania, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's a feeling of being alive that is so intense and seductive, and um, it's like adrenaline and focus yeah.
0: and and yeah. excitement,
1: and, and, and it's and such
0: a good feeling. You don't want to let it go. You know? don't. Yeah.
1: Um. So go ahead.
0: Um. So after that, we moved home. Kept partying, you know, then had, you know, kind of came down for a little while. And then I had another hypomanic episode <laughs> and I was I had gone back to school um, and I was doing really well. And then I started doing things like taking like 50 pages of notes for a class and turning wow. them all in. And then, you know, the teacher would write, you know, don't do this. And I just keep doing it. <laughs>
1: Were they seeing your notes? Were you, were you sharing them with them? Yeah,
0: because, like-, like, there's this one class and we were supposed to turn in, like, one page of notes, you know, for the reading. <laughs> oh my and I just God. turn in, like, like 50 pages and it's just, like, detailed everything. Like, all my ideas about us. It was like... like a philosophy class, so I had lots of ideas about the reading and I had to share them. So, that and, was... I,
1: and I'm sure you were just pouring your life and your personal experience yeah. into that.
0: Yeah. My we, poor professor, I mean, she's just like, "Don't do
1: this." What a kind of a beautiful cry for help though, you know, that that pouring your in philosophy, what a perfect vehicle to pour your right. your soul out in your personal right. experience. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of sweet on uh... It was
0: great. I mean, I wish I wish I could be like that all the time. Maybe not quite like that, but, you know, I wish I could be that productive all the time or at least have that flow of ideas. That's what I really miss about that. Um, but, yeah. And were you
1: still self-injuring?
0: Yeah, I've been self, self-injuring self off and on since I was 12. You know, usually when I'm depressed um, or really stressed out, it's like a way to relieve myself.
1: Would you um, self-injure in while you were hypomanic? No. Okay.
0: No, no. Not did either.
1: that feel like a reprieve from that? Um, or did you just not think about it?
0: I just didn't think about it. When I'm not doing it, I don't really think about it. And it comes in waves. So I'll go through... Like, I've just been going through an episode recently where, it, you know, it wouldn't be every day, but it would be like every couple days. And when I feel really low, just, you know.
1: How yeah. do you feel when you look at the, the scars?
0: I actually like the scars i know it's wrong but that's actually one of my loves for later yeah (laughs) but i i like having them and i don't know why i don't know if it's like kind of like battle wounds Mm -hmm. sort of but yeah i like having them i like seeing them and i know it's weird but
1: if it's an an inappropriate part on your body can you show me the one that you're most i can show you a recent one okay right now sure
0: it's just under if you
1: that is intense that is one of the most intense wounds i've i've ever seen
0: it's it's funny because it's like i don't it doesn't feel painful when i do it but one of the things i like about the salt and the ice is it feels painful for a long time afterwards you get blisters and
1: there's a there's a, a blister about the size of a small orange and then there is a I hope i'm not being too graphic there is the size of a grapefruit there your skin is raw and and scabbed over i mean that
0: right it doesn't hurt when i do it and i know it's bizarre but i like having them you know and i like the healing process i think that's a you know a big part of it it's it's painful and then you know eventually it starts to feel a little better and then you get the scar and then when you look at the scar you can remember you know the process of how it all felt you know and uh, it's just it's such an addiction for me it's such a difficult thing to deal with
1: have you ever seen somebody i know you you go to therapy right have you ever been in any specific support group for self-harm
0: not no not a specific uh group for that um, my therapist helped me with it but i've never sought like specific help for it okay. probably should <laughs>
1: um go ahead i'm I... sure um i hope that didn't trigger anybody um Who's listening that 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 self- self harms but this is all kind of fascinating to me because i'm that's not something I can normally super relate to mm. many it's, of the issues that that listeners have, but self harm is one of the things that that i my slate is completely blank that, right. that and food issues
0: right I mean it's I understand how difficult it is to grasp for people who don't do it because it doesn't make any sense you know and it's it's really like you know mine's pretty visible and you know why it's I know people think it's like because you want to seek attention and that's not really the case it's you know it's it's not a cry for help it's like a compulsion that's hard to deal with and I know that that's hard you know that's hard to understand
1: does people uh seeing it and commenting on it or reacting to it feed into the high
0: well, not like so I wear right this uh scar is on my ankle, and I've been wearing pants you know since I've done it, and most of my scars are on my thighs, so it's not an issue. I think I ran out of space on my thighs, so I decided to you know go lower down on my leg, but I try as best as I can to hide them, okay, yeah, um, so back to that hypomanic episode when I was writing all the you know notes for my mm-hmm. professor that culminated in um, me taking LSD and winding up with a really bad trip and ending up in the hospital for nine days. After driving from San Francisco, I went out to visit a friend and dropped acid and drove from San Francisco to LA, stayed up for four days, just like completely out of my mind thinking that the police were after me and like drug dealers were after me and um, my mom, you know, took me to the hospital, and that was my first hospitalization. So much
1: LSD did you take?
0: One tab. So I've heard that, or I've read before that um, some mental health professionals say that if you're bipolar and you, you know, take certain drugs, it can induce like a manic or hypomanic episode, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so I think that that was the case because I already had a mental illness; it just totally blew it all up, you know. So.
1: What do you, were there positive aspects to the high or was it all, no. it was all just kind of a bad?
0: It was a nightmare. It was the scariest thing I've ever gone through. I thought that, you know, I thought I had like stashed drugs in my car and that these drug dealers were trying to get them back and they were like killing off my family one by one. And I got into the hospital and I didn't realize. That it just it was just overnight, my first night there. So I thought that <laughs> I thought that the drug dealers had infiltrated the hospital and were killing off all the patients, but they were just asleep. So it was like me and one nurse and I'm like, We're the last ones left. We've gotta get out of here and they, they just you know, ignored me and
1: <laughs> one of the things that I love with the paranoid episodes is the degree of self-importance. Yeah, I know. The whole world is spying on us and, you know. Yeah. Um, So you're in the hospital. And how long was the – that's weird. So so like the LSD high just kind of blended into the delusions once the drug wore off.
0: Yeah. I'm... What do you mean?
1: Well, be- because, you know, on a profound LSD trip, there is a loss of of reality right um partial or full depending on how much you've taken but yours lasted four days i mean clearly one hit of acid doesn't last four right. days that's
0: exactly what i mean like i think people with mental illness it's like it's just like a super you know if you take LSD, it's like a super magnified lsd trip or you know super mania or something yeah. it just doesn't mix well i mean i well you know i don't i'm not Against people experimenting with drugs, but if you're if you have a mental illness, it's probably not a good idea. It's, you know, that's my opinion. Yeah. So.
1: If you have a choice between uh, Supermania and Wrestlemania, go to Wrestlemania. <laughs> uh, so go ahead. So you you're, you're in the hospital then?
0: Yeah. So that's um, when I first started taking medication after that trip. Um,
1: what did they put you on?
0: Uh, Zaprexa and I think well Butrin mm-hmm. because I, they I don't know why they put me on an antidepressant. I think it was because they knew I was probably going to be depressed after the fact. Um but I didn't stay on it. Like I wasn't a compliant patient at all. Like I I stayed on it for maybe 3 months and then I thought, "Okay, it's all good." And that was a mistake. But um but yeah, things went back to normal for a while and I finished college and you know got my degree and uh then i got you know out in the real world trying to find a job i just got extremely depressed and um one of your former guests used the term like doing a geographic mm-hmm. and uh so at that point i moved to london like i went to visit my sister And I had no intention of moving there. And we went to the pub. And, like, on the first drink, she was like, you should just move here. And I was like, I don't know. And by the fourth drink, I was like, yeah, I'm moving. (laughs) So so I, like... This will
1: fix my problems. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So I, like, picked up my life and moved to London. Like, moved in with my sister. And it didn't help anything at all. You know, I was still out of work. Um, My grandparents had left me some money, so I was... You know, I had money what a to live on. Dangerous off
1: of. combination. Yeah.
0: Out of work, not on medication, and started to get into cocaine, like in a pretty big way. So I spent all my money on that. Just, you know, bad. It was just a bad scene overall. And um, that, you know, that lasted for about a year and a half. And then. What was um, it like
1: when you ran out of the money?
0: uh you were in london London yeah i was in london and i ran out of money and i had to move home and move back in with my parents and i was actually kind of relieved because it took me out of that environment where i was doing the drugs and doing all sorts of nefarious deeds what does that mean (laughs) like dangerous behavior and bad stuff you know anything you want to um just like a lot of promiscuous sex like a lot and um just, just destructive behavior. Lots of drinking. Um, I just spend every day at like my local bar, you know, doing cocaine in the bathroom and having sex with people. So, it was, you know, I wasn't medicated. I was, I was depressed. And sounds
1: like you were in a huge amount of pain.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was tough, and it was. I felt so guilty because the whole time I just, I knew I needed to get a job, and like my fam. I come from a really good family. Everyone is really like has their shit together. And so I felt really guilty that I was, I didn't have it together, but the only, the way I dealt with that was just by getting deeper and deeper into it because I couldn't seem to pull myself out. You know, I was struggling so much and it just seemed like there's no point in even trying at that point. But, um, so I ran out of the money and moved back home with my parents. and I was kind of relieved because it took me out of that scene. I, you know, cleaned up my act. I got off the cocaine and then I started drinking like a crazy person, like 3 or 4 bottles of wine a day. I'd just sit in my room, just drink and drink and um that ended, you know, ended up my parents took me to the hospital. So that was my second hospitalization, you know, went through detox and then got on got back on meds. I've been on meds ever since and like I realized, okay, like I'm somebody who needs to be medicated because this whole, like, last few years have been like a train wreck. And, you know, so I've been on medication ever since. Um, and then after that, things are good for a while, you know, got a job, moved out on my own. Um, you know,
1: how was the the self-medicating um-
0: Um, the drinking is something I still struggle with. So I was still drinking. Um, it wasn't, I, I stopped drinking for about three months. You know, they say like, you've got to, you know, three months is like builds a habit. So I was like, okay, I've done my three months. Let's start drinking again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, you know, but it was under control. I was still, you know, I was working full time. I had a good job. I was able to manage everything. And, um, it, you know, it was good for a couple of years until about a year and a half ago. And, and everything fell apart again. Um, what happened? Started, yeah, started drinking really heavily again. Um, just got into, oh, I moved in with a friend and we were really, really close. I think this is like a borderline thing. We were super close and I was really dependent on her. And we had this huge fight and um, we ended up, you know, completely breaking off the friendship. And it just threw me into terrible depression. You know, it's that feeling of abandonment that just is devastating. And um, just, yeah, threw me into this massive depression uh, that I've been in ever since, pretty much. Um,
1: Where do you think the abandonment comes from? I don't know, because once
0: again, like, I have great role models. I've never, you know, there's been no emotional abuse, you know, with the exception of that guy, you know, the 22-year-old. I don't know where it comes from. It's, you know,
1: were those feelings there before the relationship with that guy?
0: Yeah, because when I had that first depressive episode when I was 7, I um we moved houses and I had lived next door to my best friend, and after moving I didn't get to see her so much, and I think it was that abandonment again. So that started at a really early age. Um I kind of suspect this might be kind of a stretch, but Uh, My family's from England, and we moved here when I was three, and I'm very American, and the rest of my family is very English, and the first 10 years we're living here, like, my parents are very adamant about being English, and I sort of felt like I wasn't part of the family. Like, I can't even imagine coming from a different culture. I mean, it's just England. I don't know what my big (laughs) issue was, but there's this feeling of, like, being alone, I think, with that, so... That's just a theory. What does your
1: therapist think about your abandonment issues? And does your therapist agree that you came from a safe and stable home?
0: Yeah, he does. Yeah. We're still trying to figure it out, you know.
1: How uh, long have you been in?
0: Two years. And mm-hmm. I have the greatest therapist in the world. He he wins, like, Therapist of the Year Award. He saved my life multiple times, you know, got me into the hospital. So...
1: What does it feel like when you're in his care?
0: It feels... I feel safe, you know. I feel uh you know i feel i feel like it's weird but i feel like appreciated like my point of view is appreciated like he's really listening to me and that's a good feeling and i'm not being judged as well which is really nice
1: what other areas of your life do you feel like you're not appreciated or you're being judged mm, i think Do you ever feel that way around your family
0: I try not to. I know that they're. It's you know intellectually, I know they're not judging me, but it's still that emotional feeling. Like when I, you know, I've I've been out of work for quite a while now. Like I I was laid off, and then I got another job, and then I had to quit because I was so depressed. And I sort of feel like I'm a less, lesser person because I can't, you know, because I struggle so much with things like working. And like everybody, should, you know, everybody works and everybody should live on their own when they're 27. I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily true, but they that's how I feel, you know. And so I, you know, I have to remind myself that they're not judging me. If know? it makes
1: you feel any better, most of the listeners that are that age and below that have, you know, between 18 and 27, mm-hmm. um, most of them live with their parents and are working a minimum wage job and can't scrape and enough money together to go live on their own Mm -hmm. and um so don't feel like you're you're different
0: yeah yeah I know I I have two older siblings and they really have it together so I feel kind of like the ugly duckling so that's hard I mean I know that not everybody is in a situation where you know they're fully independent and I don't know it's not like people should or have to be it's just that feeling i'm a lot less judgmental of other people than i am of myself so i feel like i should have it together like everybody else is okay but for me this is not okay
1: so oh you know what that sound means time to give our sponsors a little bit of love and our sponsor for this episode is nature box it's a monthly subscription service that delivers awesome snacks right to your door Smarter snacks, no fructose, uh, high fructose corn syrup, no hydrogenated oils, no artificial flavors or colors, and an amazing, amazing choice of uh, savory snacks, sweet snacks, really inventive uh, combinations of flavors. Uh, The couple that I'm really digging this week are the whole wheat figgy bars. They have a raspberry filling that you might need to ease your pants off for. Uh, The Everything bagel sticks. Sesame sticks with poppy seeds, garlic, and onion. Super awesome with dip. And uh, Santa Fe corn sticks. I like to think of it as a skinny corn chip uh, in a tuxedo. They're so good. They're salsa-flavored corn sticks. Anyway, that's like three of the hundred different snacks that you can get delivered to your door. So um, go to naturebox.com today for 50% off with promo code HAPPYHOUR. How's that grab you? It's time to get snacks you can feel good about at naturebox.com with promo code HAPPYHOUR. I want to also give some love to Daily Burn. Thank you, Daily Burn, for uh, being such a great supporter of this show. Uh, Daily Burn is an online workout video website. They have a huge variety of uh, videos you can work out. Um, You can sort it by trainer. You can sort it by the type of exercise you want to do, You, you know. They have everything from Tabata to interval training to yoga. You can sort it by length of workout. You can access a workout from anywhere. You can connect across multiple devices like Roku, iPad, iPhone, and soon PS3 and Xbox. And just for mental illness happy hour users, get the first 30 days free when you go to dailyburn.com slash happy hour. And we all know how important it is for mental health to get some kind of exercise in. At least a couple of times a week, if not four, five, six. You want to go seven? Wow! Then I think you got a problem. Maybe not. Anyway, Daily Burn—the best fitness anywhere. So, where are we now in your in your story?
0: Um. So now we're up to now. Um. Well, this last year has been probably the worst year of my life. Um, I, You know, I got, I got really depressed after I, you know, sort of broke up with my friend. Um, moved out on my own again, like moved out of her place and, you know, started to not show up to work.
1: Had you been diagnosed with uh, borderline personality disorder? I had disorder? been
0: diagnosed with bipolar. I hadn't been diagnosed borderline yet. I was diagnosed... Actually, no. I had just been diagnosed borderline. I was diagnosed about a year ago, so.
1: And from what I understand, they can often often be um, misconstrued for each other when when one person right. has has won.
0: Well, some professionals say that you can't have both. So I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe my diagnosis is wrong. I don't know. And, you know, yeah. my feeling is
1: is the label doesn't matter as much as the 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 aspects of it that. Need to be dealt with and struggled with, and the coping me- mechanisms that need to be discovered to help mm-hmm. um, yeah, manage absolutely. it. I think that's I think that's the important thing more than more than the label.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I feel relieved to have a diagnosis because it's a way of knowing that there are other people out there that deal with the same thing that you deal with. Yeah, but you know, as long as you're getting help, you know, then. It's not, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be labeled. It's not like this thing that defines you. Yeah.
1: It's a part of us, but it's not who we are. Yeah, exactly. Um, So.
0: Well, this is around the time I started hearing voices. voices. Um, So about a year ago, uh, I was in my car on my lunch break. And I was just, I was just in, you know, a terrible state. I was like hysterically crying. I just couldn't deal with it anymore. And all of a sudden I heard this voice and it sort of sounded, at first I thought it was in the car behind me, but then I, I realized that it was... In, you know, sort of in my head, but it wasn't my voice. It was something I'd never heard before. And it was just this voice. It was just like, Sophie, you're such a fucking bitch. You should just kill yourself. And I would just say that over and over Is again. Is male or
1: female? It's male.
0: It's like a goblin. I call it the goblin because
1: it's, it's kind of deep.
0: Yeah, it's like deep growly voice, like not a nice thing to hear.
1: And it was it as clear as if somebody were behind you actually speaking to you? It's
0: not. It's not that clear um
1: so it's but it's more I know than a thought
0: yeah i know it's in i know i'm hearing it in my head but I, it's not a thought i can control and it's not in you know when you have thoughts it's always in your voice mm-hmm. and this is it's sort of like sometimes it's kind of like like kind of like a whispering
1: mm-hmm. you know
0: it's like kind of outside but i know it's not outside my head so is
1: it in one ear more than the other yeah
0: it's sort of, it's like on my right side of my head, you know, which is weird. And it's just the one voice. I don't hear any other voices and I don't really hear a lot of different things. It's the same. You're such a fucking bitch. You should kill yourself. You need to kill yourself. Like this is just the same thing over and over again. And I hear it when I get stressed out or, you know, when I'm really low and I was just like, I had no, you know, I was mortified. I was like at the end of my rope. I thought, this is it. Like, I'm.
1: This is the sign that I need to do it. Yeah.
0: And so, well, and I had been, I had actually been, I was on Seroquel and I was uh, d- uh, prescribed 150 milligrams as needed. And sort of about six months before this, I started to like hoard the extra Seroquel. And in the back of my mind, it was like, well, just in case. You know? In case
1: I need to take my in, life. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like, just in case I need to take this. And I looked up what the lethal dose would be, and I was like, okay, like, you know, just in case I need to take this. And after I started hearing the voices, I was like, this is it, you know? And I didn't quite have the lethal dose. So I was like, if I drink, you know, if I drink some alcohol with it, you know, maybe this this will work. So... I went to my therapist. I told him. And the
1: not taking the Seroquel was adding to the voices. Well, yeah. I know.
0: Well, it was like as needed, but I probably needed to take it, you know? What made
1: you think that the voices didn't, (laughs) you know, weren't a sign that you needed to... I don't know. That's the thing about mental illness, man. It is so baffling. You don't have a
0: lot of clarity when you're in the middle of something like that.
1: You don't. You don't.
0: Yeah. Well, so I went to my therapist and I told him all about, you know, and I, you know, had a plan and all this stuff. And he was like, all right, you need to go to the hospital. So, you know, I was booked in the hospital. At this point, my parents are out of town. They're on a cruise. So it's kind of like me on my own. Um, went to the hospital. It was on 5150, you know, stayed for the 72 hours. And then I was like, okay, I need to go. I need to pay my rent. I need to feed my cat. You know, I got it. I'm, I'm good to go. I'm good to get out of here. And... uh So they let me out. Like, one of the nurses was kind of like, I don't think this is a good idea. You don't seem totally, you know, with it. You know, this is... And were
1: you back on the Seroquel?
0: I was... They changed my medication, I think, to... Yeah, they didn't... Oh, no, I was still on on Seroquel at this point. They didn't Mm -hmm. change my meds. Got out of the hospital, same day, took all the Seroquel, drank a bunch of beer. And then about 20 minutes in, you know, I started to feel it. And, like, thank God... Was
1: this an attempt... Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Took took all the seracool I had. I I think it was like five thousand milligrams. Good god. Um, yeah. And I thought, okay, drink some alcohol. That'll you know put it over the edge. And about twenty minutes into it, I really realized, you know, oh my god, I'm really doing this. And I called nine one one, and they came and like they took me to the hospital. I didn't have to have my stomach pumped. They made me drink charcoal, mm-hmm. and then you know I was put back in the hospital. Fifty one fifty and then after 72 hours as held for longer put on a 5250 which What's... is a 7 day hold okay. um and then you have to be like evaluated by like a panel you have sort of a like a jury hearing kind of thing um so this was yeah like about a year ago got out of the hospital you know still wanted to do it on my own right after I got out of the hospital uh, I lost my job. I was sort of laid off, but, I mean, they were really nice about it. They they eliminated my position, but I hadn't been showing up, so they are pretty much firing me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, got back on my feet, got a new job. This was maybe three months ago. Um, then just couldn't cope anymore, still terribly depressed, uh, quit the job, and wound up back in the hospital again. It wasn't a suicide attempt, but I was just so low. Did and, you check yourself in? Um, I did. My therapist actually came and picked me up in the middle of the night and drove me to the hospital. So, you know, he was like... I called him and he was like, you need to, you need to mm-hmm. go to the hospital. But yeah, I checked myself in. It wasn't a 5150. And that that was about six weeks ago. So now I'm here. <laughs>
1: Have you ever... Have you ever gone to a um, support group for yes. the drinking oh, or no. any of this?
0: I go to a, like a DBSA support group, Depression Bipolar Support Alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a transitional years group. It's 18 to 30 year olds, which is really great. I've been going for about a year and you have a couple fans in that group. Oh, so awesome. <laughs> maybe they're listening. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. So I do the support group for the bipolar and for the borderline. I haven't saw help for the drinking. Like I've been trying to be sober. I, I'll like be sober for a couple weeks and then fall off the wagon again and then be sober again. But I've actually just this week, I've moved in with my parents. So I think it'll be a lot easier to stay sober. I think I need to find help for the self harm and for the drinking. Definitely.
1: Yeah. Uh, talk about the uh, the support group for the, the, the bipolar.
0: Um, it's a it's, it's def- for bipolar and what? Uh, depression, bipolar and de- bipolar. okay. Um, but we have like a mixture of um, of diagnoses. There's some people with schizoaffective, um, schizophrenia, the borderline. Um, and it's a really great group. We, uh, you know, we all share about our week or whatever we need to share about, give each other feedback. And then we all go out for Taco Tuesday afterwards. so mm-hmm. it's become. Like my main group of friends, pretty much, you know, because everyone understands each other. When you're really low, they're they're there for you and talk about
1: what you feel in your body and the thoughts that you have when you're at Taco Tuesday with these guys <laughs> and you're and you're laughing and you're being yourself.
0: I feel it's it feels.
1: I'm assuming you're laughing and feeling.
0: Yeah, it feels really good. I right. mean, it's you can have a horrible week. Or, like, for me, I've been depressed for so long, and then I recognize, like, I I realized this just this other day when I went. I was just, like, bawling and just so depressed in the group, and then we went out for Taco Tuesday, and they're all there, and I realized they're all my friends, and they understand what I'm going through. And it's, like, this feeling of relief, you know, and comfort, you know? So Would it,
1: would it be fair to use the word kind of cleansing your day? The, the pain sure. of your day,
0: yeah, because it's it's like a safe place. It's like a refuge, I yeah. guess. Yeah, yeah, it's great.
1: That's that's been my experience in support groups. Is it's mm-hmm. it's um, it just feels like a like a warm jacuzzi. Like yeah, I can just <laughs> let go. Yeah, you're just, like
0: a <sighs> pile of feathers.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's so nice to have a place that you can collapse. And for me, I feel like I can collapse even more than in therapy because in therapy i don't know there's though i think therapy is incredibly helpful um there's something more soothing about knowing that this person has experienced what what i mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. and they don't i'm not paying them and yeah. have no reason to bullshit me mm-hmm. and I don't know, there's there's a comfort to that that I, I can't really find to that degree anywhere else
0: mm-hmm. and yeah just the because the voices thing I was so scared to tell anyone and I told my therapist like after the suicide attempt I told him what was going on and he was really supportive and it took me a long time to bring it up in the group and about this is maybe four weeks ago like not that long ago I finally sort of confessed to the group that this was going on and everyone was there's nobody in the group that I know of that hears voices but they were all very supportive and very um, judgmental and
1: even the, the schizophrenics and the, uh,
0: I don't know that they've never, he, it's one schizophrenic guy and he's never talked about it. So mm. he actually, you know what, he has tactile hallucinations. Um, so he feels like pressure. Some, it's like someone pressing on his body or, you know, it's like a pain on his body. So okay. it's a different kind of thing, I guess.
1: Is there, is there anything else that you you'd like to share about the support group or where you are today?
0: Um, Well, actually, yeah, I've decided to become a facilitator for my support group. That's awesome. So I'm going through, you know, waiting to do the training and I think it'll be really good for me. And, um, you know, everybody in the group is really supportive of that. Uh, We have one facilitator now, but she, you know, she works and she needs somebody to step in when she's not there. So I feel really great about that.
1: How did you find the support group?
0: I um, went, just went online to the DBSA website. Um, The great, you know, DBSA and NAMI are really great. They have, you know, support groups. You can just go on their website and find one near you.
1: Is DBSA under the umbrella of NAMI?
0: No, it's actually, I don't know if it's just in, in California. Because mm-hmm. um, I think it was started in Orange County. Mm-hmm. So I think they have like a Orange County chapter and maybe an LA chapter. I'm not, you know, I don't know much about it beyond that so hmm.
1: Um, if you've never been to the nami website it's nami.org and it stands for the national alliance on uh, mental illness and it was originally from what i understand originally founded as a support group for the loved ones of people with uh with mental illness but um it has Mm. expanded to include but i don't know that's just what i've what i've heard and
0: i believe the dbsa it's either dbsa.org or it's dbsalliance.org. So like mm-hmm. D-B-S-A, but alliance, you know.
1: Okay. Um, anything else you'd like to share before we do some fears and loves? I think, I
0: think I'm think i good. I think I've shared a lot. <laughs> and you made it
1: through without crying. That's what she said <laughs> oh, yeah, to me before we started. And I said my goal is to get you to cry. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be doing the fears of, let's see, where are they? I'm going to be doing the fears of a listener, um, actually somebody from the forum uh, named, uh, calls himself Lamont Cranston. And uh, he says, I'm afraid that the kidney that I got from my brother in a transplant six years ago would will fail.
0: Mm. Okay. I'm afraid that the fact that it was so hard to come up with my fears and loves means that I'm dead inside or like a <laughs> robot. <laughs>
1: Uh, I'm afraid of dying way too early and not experiencing all of the things that I want to out of life.
0: I'm afraid that my borderline personality disorder will make it impossible to form a healthy romantic relationship.
1: I'm afraid of being very old and getting something like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, or Lou Gehrig's disease, and then I will have to depend on someone else for everything. I have that one, too. Uh,
0: I'm afraid that... Oh, which one? Okay, I'm afraid that I will attempt suicide, be unsuccessful, but be permanently disabled.
1: I'm afraid of becoming a pariah among my friends.
0: I'm afraid that my family is losing patience with me because this most recent depressive episode has been lingering for so long.
1: I'm afraid that I won't be able to pay off all my debts.
0: I'm afraid that I'll never learn to manage my weight and be forever insecure about my body.
1: I'm afraid that my fiance will either break up with me or leave me standing at the altar.
0: I'm afraid that I'll be unable to maintain a strong bond with my siblings because they live in a different country.
1: Uh, I'm afraid that something will happen to my dad and I won't be able to tell him how much of a hero he was to me. I would suggest you go tell your dad that as soon as possible.
0: Mm, yeah. I'm afraid that my parents won't be able to do what they want to do in their retirement because of my illness.
1: I'm afraid of going to hell when I die.
0: Um, I'm afraid that my teeth are going to fall out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have that one too. Uh, I'm a, Mine is a, that I'm afraid that um I'm going to realize I needed to, to floss more after it's too late. And then I'm going to have tons of painful dental surgery, and then I'm going to get addicted to pain meds, Uh, and then I'm going to be a derelict. Oh, no. Um, But you have to give me credit for how far I extrapolate that. There is kind of a beauty in that. Um, Lamont says, I'm afraid of having something go horribly wrong that wasn't my fault and being sent to prison. I have that same one.
0: (laughs) That's a Sometimes bad one.
1: when I'm rolling my hockey bag out, when I go to play hockey, because it's really big uh-huh. and it's on wheels, I always think, I'm glad I have hockey sticks so somebody doesn't think I have a body in here.
0: <laughs> okay, is it me? Yeah. Uh, I'm afraid that people will think I'm lazy when I'm just going through a depressive period. Uh,
1: I'm afraid that I won't be able to get a really good job.
0: Oh, this one is kind of similar to my last one. I'm afraid that I'll never find something I love to do and I will end up in a dead-end, underpaid job for the rest of my life.
1: Let's go to loves.
0: All right.
1: I'm going to be doing the Lamont's uh, loves.
0: Okay. I love the smell of wet asphalt.
1: Uh, I love turning on the TV and unexpected, unexpectedly finding a show or movie that's one of my favorites and I haven't seen in a long time.
0: Oh, that's really good when yeah. that happens.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I love that I can afford proper mental health care.
1: Uh, I love sitting in the backyard at night in the summer with a cigar and a drink, looking up at the sky, and just thinking.
0: I love sneezing, which is weird. That is a
1: great one. I can't <laughs> believe we haven't had that yet. I love driving on the freeway and having a kick-ass playlist of my favorite music on the iPad iPod.
0: Okay, this is a bad one, but I love the scars that I have because of my self-harm.
1: Uh, I'm going to inject one of mine. I love that you're unafraid to list that as one of your loves. I think that's beautiful that Thank you... you. That you- own that um i love morning sunrises especially when you have to wake up in the dark
0: i love going on vacation with my family because we usually go camping in a spot that my family has been going to for generations
1: i love having my fiance come up and scratch my back and not having to ask her to do it oh that's a beautiful Mm. one
0: i love when i call my cat's name and she squeaks at me her name (laughs) is squeaky by the way (laughs)
1: I love hearing a great song with good harmonies. By the way, I hope at some point your uh, the voices that you hear turn into a barbershop quartet so it can at least be <laughs> ironically entertaining. That would
0: be amazing. I know some people get good voices. I'd like Do a they? good, yeah, positive voice. That would be really nice having yes. someone tell you how awesome you are uh, all the time. You look great
1: in those jeans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I love making to-do lists.
1: Uh, I love an unexpected call from one of my friends.
0: I love my support group.
1: I love going to bed at night and knowing that I've accomplished something during the day.
0: I love horror movies.
1: Uh, I love... Getting back to sleep early in the morning and sleeping soundly after having to get up and go to the bathroom. I love that one, too.
0: (laughs) I love my friends for putting up with my volatility and mood swings.
1: I love waking up to a strong rain early in the morning, realizing that you have a day off and going back to sleep. Oh, man, do I relate to these.
0: I love my vibrator. It's like the uh, Porsche of vibrators and has a lifetime warranty.
1: (laughs) Does it really? Yeah. What what is it? What's the name? It's a Lilo. Yeah? How do you spell that? L-E-L-O. Good to know. Um, sitting in my, I love sitting in my darkened home office late at night and working on something creative.
0: Okay, and this is my last one. I love that my therapist has stuck it out with me for over two years. He saved my life on multiple occasions.
1: Well, we have to end on that one because that's that's so sweet and beautiful. <laughs> and uh, a shout out to all the therapists that really care about their job and really feel their clients mm-hmm. and um, help help their clients feel felt. There is, um, it's so important. It's so important. And um, I know that goes without saying, but, um, and the people who love and support those of us with mental illness, no matter how much we test their patients, um, send in a lot of love to them. And Sophie, a lot of love to you for coming on and being so incredibly honest and open about your about your struggles. Thank
0: you for having me. It's been really therapeutic, which is great. (laughs)
1: Thank you. Many, many thanks uh, to Sophie. If you live in the LA area and you feel like um, some aspect of your life or an issue of yours hasn't been uh, talked about on the show, shoot me an email at mentalpod at at gmail.com. What did I want to share with you before? Well, uh before we get to to surveys uh, i want to remind you there's a couple of different ways to support the show if you feel so inclined you can go to the website mentalpod.com that's also the twitter name you can follow me at and you can make a one time paypal donation or a recurring monthly donation which means the world to me because it uh gives this podcast some financial footing to uh to keep operating on and um you can sign up for as little as 5 bucks a month uh for the recurring monthly um you can also help us by uh, shopping through our Amazon search portal. In other words, if you're going to shop at Amazon, enter through the little search box we have on our homepage, right-hand side says Amazon on it, and Amazon will give us a couple of nickels if you uh, if you buy something and it doesn't cost you anything. You can also support us by um, non-financially by going to iTunes and writing a nice review, giving us a good rating that boosts our ranking and brings more people to the show. Um, Not many people have been doing that uh, lately. Maybe you don't like the show. Mm, Maybe that's what I read into it. Maybe that's what I take into the next room and let my head spin for the next nine hours. (laughs) I think a a lot of the the regular listeners, you probably filled it out already. But if you haven't, please go and uh, give us a good rating if you feel so inclined at uh, at iTunes. Spread the word through social media, Facebook, Reddit, um, whatever, Twitter. Really appreciate it. I um, wanted to give you an update. I've been um doing neurofeedback, and I just finished – oh, by the way, that last episode with Sophie was taped about, I want to say about three or four months ago, right before we instituted the Awfulsome Moment Survey, and I had, hadn't decided at that point whether I wanted to call them Awfulsome or Awesomeful and uh, as you heard i called them awesomeful in this episode um that i recorded with sophie and then uh, as i was editing this together i was like oh I hate the perfectionist in me was oh, uh, it, was, it was crazy cuz i i was like so afraid people were going to be listening and going it's awful some it's not awesomeful <sighs> perfectionism is fucking draining i don't think there are many things that drain us or maybe i should just speak for myself as much as perfectionism it is the cruelest voice buried deep in our head and it runs everything it runs the show you know it tells me that i'm not lovable if i don't do it right you know it extrapolates it tells me that if i if i do this wrong then then criticism is going to come and any criticism must mean that you know i'm i'm not acceptable that I'm gonna be alone. It's I know it's crazy, but when I'm in it, I can't see it. I can't see how insidious it is. And the other thing that perfectionism does is it shuts us down. I get so shut down when I'm afraid that I'm going to make a mistake. I, then I don't want to do it. I don't want to. I don't want to participate in something. Um, I work myself up into a nap, and so I just escape or shut down. And um, I don't know so I've been doing this neurofeedback uh, lately and I just finished 30 sessions of it and I don't know this is kind of embarrassing to talk about but I don't know if it's worked I've had some great days after after doing a session you basically go in three times a week for like an hour at a at, at a crack or a half hour to crack and then you either feel the effects that day or sometimes the next day um, and and they basically try to get your brain to to produce um, less of the brain waves that are causing you problems and more of the brain waves that would help you with depression or, you know, uh, focus, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And um, I get these bumps where I start to feel better, and then it doesn't feel. I feel like I've slid back. But the thing that's, I'm I'm starting to notice, and this is kind of embarrassing to talk about, but. The day after I have an orgasm, or the day after that, I, I'm blue, and I hate that. I, I does anybody else experience that? Um, it, um, and then suddenly I understand why Sting does the thing where you know you, you don't orgasm because that chi they call it, that buildup of sexual energy does increase your, your productivity and your. God, this is what I hate about mental illnesses. It's so multifaceted, mental illness and addiction and the human body, and you never know what the right answer is. And I think that's that's where my perfectionism is driving me crazy because I want everything fixed. I want everything sorted out. I want answers. And you don't get them. You don't get them. and Or if you do, they certainly don't come in the volume and, uh, on the schedule that I'd, I'd like them to come in. And, uh, that's kind of where I'm at today. I'm not having a great, a great day. And, um, you know, I was so up last week and it's, I don't think this is like a bipolar thing. Um, cause you know, I've talked to my shrink about that. And he doesn't think I'm bipolar. He thinks I might be on the edge, but, um, anyway, I just I wanted to give you guys an update. Oh, and the other thing, uh, my friend Lisa Arch, uh, who was a great guest and she's one of my best friends, asked me if I would be interested in doing an episode where she interviews me. And because um, I, you know, that had been suggested to me before, and I was like, ah, you know, Mark Marin did it, and a bunch of other people do that, and I just I don't want to feel like I'm copying them, but I. I thought there are listeners that are kind of new to the show that that haven't heard me talk about some of my issues, and maybe that would be a good thing to do, because then there would be a single episode where they could go, and they could um, roll their eyes and hear my bullshit. (laughs) I couldn't resist making fun of myself. Um, So if I do do that, and maybe you guys give me some – of course you're not going to give me negative feedback. No, we've heard enough of your bullshit, Paul. That was a stupid question. Now I'm beating myself up. Oh my god, the vortex has begun. Um but what I'm thinking of doing if I if I do do that is having you guys send questions to Lisa um for her to ask in addition um to the ones that she would have. Um so maybe you could send those to me at mentalpodgmail.com. At and um yeah. Let's get to the surface, huh? Enough of this. This is from the Body Shame uh, Survey. And this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Thin Girl. She's in her forties. What do you like or dislike about your body and why? I don't like my breasts. Bre- breasts. Her breasts are actually spelled B R E S T S. Oh my god! I so want to just stop and rewind this whole fucking thing. Perfectionism. I don't like my breasts. I used to before I had kids. They were never big, but just right for my small body frame. After breastfeeding, they shrunk and were never quite the perky breasts they used to be. My ex would make comments about how shriveled they were, and I can remember him regularly making comments like, wow, they are awful now. <sighs> wow, what a fucking dick that guy is. Wow, can you imagine telling somebody their body part is awful? Anyway... Uh, so after that I always had sex with his shirt on uh, it's as if they weren't even there anymore he never touched them they were no longer a part of any sexual activity ever again not until I left him thank God uh, did I finally allow myself to let them become a part of sex again and it has been very hard I've only had a few partners since then but find myself apologizing for how small my breasts are and get it into my head that no matter how nice the rest of my body looks that no one will keep me around because my breasts aren't perfect that works out perfectly that this is about perfectionism. This is complicated by the fact that my ex cheated on me with girls much younger than me with fake boobs. God, it's like this guy was constructed by scientists to be the biggest mind fuck a partner could be. When I look in the mirror fully clothed or even with a bathing suit or bra and underwear, I see an attractive woman with a thin fit body. But if you take my shirt and bra away, the self-confidence goes with it. It's very frustrating. Sending you lots of love. Um, Same survey filled out by a guy um, who says, uh, I am a man with breasts. I'm 23 years old, and due to some testicular cancer treatment and hormone issues caused by it, I feel like I'm going through puberty all over again, only now I have breasts and don't want to have sex. I have out-of-control acne, and my voice is going through changes. I used to be somewhat of a ladies' man, but now I feel disgusting. Sending you, also, a big dose of love. This is from the Shame and Secrets Survey, and you know what, I meant to say this at the top, but um, maybe it's because I've been in kind of a dark mood the last couple of days, or all of you guys have been, but the surveys have really kind of, um, at least the ones that I've read recently and printed out, they're pretty dark. It's pretty dark this week. There's not a lot of happy moments. There's not a lot of good, awful-some moments and i decided to go with it so if you um and some of them are pretty graphic and pretty dark so if you're not in the mood for that maybe um fast forward to the end uh of the show um i think the the, the last two that we end on are are pretty good um and and upbeat but uh in between yeah it's it's one of the darker uh darker ones so this is from the shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself uh, Polly Anna. She's straight in her 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I've had several incidences that were on their way to sexual abuse, but never got there. My friends had to pull a guy off of me when I was in high school when he had me pinned to a wall and was biting and licking my face. Wow. Years later, a guy I was on a date with tried to pull me into an alley I fought him off and ran to safety ever been physically or emotionally abused Uh, been emotionally abused Um, I dated at least three guys who were severely emotionally abusive one of them lived off of me for three years uh, when I was injured and not making much money he also invaded my privacy cut me off from my friends and family by the way that is your first sign to fucking run from somebody when they try to isolate you Broke me down verbally, abused my dog, and generally made me miserable. One thing that stands out is a night that we were watching one of the Faces of Death movies, another flag. Uh, He insisted we watch them all. They were gruesome, but I am so pro, uh, I'm so pro at disassociating that they didn't bother me too much. On this night, the last clip on the video was one, um, I've seen this one of uh, Senator uh, Robert Dwyer shooting himself in the head. I was about 21 or 22 at this time. And uh, when I was 18, my friend, who was more like a brother, um, shot himself. My then boyfriend knew this And after we watched the clip of the senator, I was clearly very shaken. He then forced me to watch as he rewound and played the clip back half a dozen times. I was traumatized and couldn't sleep for days. That's just one of the many ways he emotionally abused me, not to mention the others. Wow. Uh, Any positive experiences with your abusers? I cannot muster any positive memories with any of these assholes. Uh, Darkest Thoughts. At one point, I worked for my grandmother. She was a nasty, horrible lady who cared more about appearing to be a good person than actually being one. She would tell me how much she hated her life, and I would constantly fantasize about taking her into the bathroom and making her watch as I slit her throat. Deepest Darkest Secrets. I'm a compulsive skin picker. I pick the skin on my face and my body. It's disgusting and horrible, and I hate it. I've also emotionally cheated on several horrible boyfriends, and physically cheated on one. Um, sexual fantasies most powerful to you mostly rape fantasies and having butt stuff done to me. I think there should be a ninety-nine cent store called Butt Stuff. I am gonna. I am gonna. First, I've got to come up with a, a mission statement for Butt Stuff. Well, the first part of the mission statement would be all stuff butt. I'm not sure really where it goes beyond that. I would love my boyfriend to eat my ass. Sharing that makes me feel nothing. I'm not ashamed. Should it be butt stuff or ass ass, eat, ass eaters? Butt stuff. Butt stuff sounds a little classier. Sharing that makes me feel nothing. I'm not ashamed, but I don't want to ask someone to do something to me that they aren't comfortable with. And she puts in parentheses, as many people are with eating ass. I just love the phrase eating ass. I just love that. And thank you for, for. um I just want to thank her for this survey, for being, um, I just want to send her a hug. She sounds like a person who's experiencing a lot of pain and has been around a lot of really fucking invalidating, cruel people. Anything you'd like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to tell my ex-manager that she's a raging cunt and that everyone hates her and she will die alone. Maybe that's part of the mission statement of butt stuff. Uh, What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for clear skin that I could stop picking. I wish I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I wish I could be happy and not anxious. Um, Have you shared these things with others? Some of them, but everyone tells me it will be okay when I freak out about my life path. I don't know how it will be okay, but everyone but but me seems sure of it. I talked to my therapist about the CSP and I'm working on it. Um, CSP CSP oh compulsive skin picking Um, how do you feel after writing these things down fine Um, what you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences get help talk to people and get help (laughs) any comments to make the podcast better 90% more songs about mental illness and 100% more Maria Bamford By the way, Maria was voted uh, listener's favorite episode of 2013. This is uh, an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself uh, Ultima Esperanza. And she writes, I know you've got a lot of amazing, awfulsome moments, and mine don't really compare, but I want to share it. The last two years have been very difficult as I lost my job, health insurance, and stopped taking my Prozac. I was really struggling and had multiple breakdowns. During what I believe was my last breakdown before starting meds again, I think it was in November, I was practically in hysterics, sobbing and hugging my husband and feeling guilty about having a breakdown. After an amount of time in this state, I received a text message from a friend of mine who I hadn't heard from in about a month. The text read, haven't spoken to you in a while, thought I should remind you that you smell and no one likes you. I immediately began laughing and couldn't cry anymore. His stupid text made me go from 60 to zero in no time. I'm tempted to say that it put my situation in perspective and brought me back to earth, but I think I just really enjoyed the absurdity and timing of it. That's awesome. I might even call that a happy moment. This is from the Shame and Secret Survey. Uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself Tapeworm. Worm. Uh, she is pansexual, 18, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, ever been the victim of sexual abuse. Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Completely wasted at a party once. I was hooking up with almost everyone there, but it was all harmless fun as we were all pretty drunk. When the party was in full swing, a new guy arrived, completely sober, and f- from what I remember, cornered me in the bathroom and got me to take my dress off. It seemed fun at first, and I can see how it felt harmless, but he suggested I let him finger me, and I got dressed and left. I got more drunk, and I can remember him holding my hand and leading me back there. There was a real sense of being mentally opposed but physically not being able to object. The same scenario happened again, but when I left the bathroom, I pretended to pass out on the ground in hopes he would see how drunk I was. In actuality, I was sobering up. Um, he walked right past me. Another boy picked me up and started kissing me. I told him I wasn't in the mood and he said, you want this. I can tell, uh, by the way, that is abuse. You know, when you tell someone you're not in the mood and they say, no, you want this. I can tell that's clearly, uh, that's not, there's no gray area there. Um, he put his hands in my underwear. I can remember mentally checking out and waiting for it to end. At some point, I asked him to get me some water so I could sober up, and he returned with a full cup of vodka and did so again and again until I eventually just walked out onto the road and cried. It wasn't really what I would classify as sexual abuse, uh, I would, but the shame I felt the next day for getting myself into a situation like that and the hatred I feel uh, and felt for the guys who took advantage of a drunk girl who couldn't look after herself has re- has really uh, stuck with me. Um, You know, I, I was trying to think of the right uh, analogy for, because I read so many of these where the, the person, uh, men and women, or women and men, have too much to drink at a party and then they feel like it's their fault because somebody takes advantage of them. You know, to me, that's like, You know, if you were driving recklessly in your car and you got a flat tire and you pulled over to the side of the road and you were fixing the flat and somebody hits you with their car. Yes, the position you were in was related to that, but it wasn't your fault. Just because you get a flat tire doesn't mean it's okay for somebody to hit you while you're fixing your tire. They're two completely separate things. And, um, anyway, I'm sure there's a better analogy than that, but deepest, darkest thoughts. Uh, I thought about tracking down the boys and at the party and castrating or seriously hurting them. It was more of a fantasy to entertain than anything I would ever really do. Darkest secrets. I've made several dates to kill myself, uh, but by the time, uh, but, by the, but when the time came, there were always something that got in the way. Mainly my embarrassment at failing or the fact that it would be a family member to find me. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful. Getting choked has always interested me. Uh, but I once asked a boy and he looked at me like I was crazy. Uh, somehow that makes it more enticing. Uh, what do you wish for? I wish I could move to a country where no one knows me and I could stay drunk all the time. You know, I think a great great place to start would be a support group for the drinking. I think that would be the first layer to start to peel away because I think if that doesn't get peeled away or dealt with, it's going to be really hard to make any kind of progress. And, um, you know, I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not a doctor, but I am a hypochondriac. This is i'm just going to read an excerpt from this one um this guy was bullied in school his name is derpa flornia uh Durpa flornia yeah i think that's how you pronounce it i love the names you guys come up with um he was bullied um he wants to know he says does getting bullied in school count as emotional or physical abuse yeah Uh, If so, then I was physically and emotionally abused throughout elementary and middle school. I was called faggot before I knew what the word meant. The last time I was picked on, I stood up for myself and received a broken nose, but I roughed his face up, so I guess that counts for something. The principal didn't punish me and was surprised I kept from kicking the shit out of one of the bullies for so long. Um, Any positive experiences with the abusers? One of the bullies was nice at times and introduced me to heavy metal. He even invited me to his house just to hang out. It was weird because he would always fuck with me in class. Looking back, I think he may have had a rejection issue or something and wanted a friend that he didn't have to prove something to. Of course, I didn't hang out with him. I may have missed an opportunity to be a friend to someone who needed it, though he bullied me. I'm fascinated by how complicated relationships can be with um, people who treat us, you know, nice one minute and bad the next. It is, mm. uh, darkest thoughts. I used to want to kill myself in front of everyone when I was in middle school, just as an ultimate fuck you to everyone. Of, of course, I know now that I would have hurt a lot of people by killing myself, regardless of where I did it. Uh, darkest secrets. Uh, I've let guys suck me off when I thought I was bi. I'd fantasize about sex with the same gender, but would usually panic right before getting down to business. Um, uh, I always recommend when you're getting down to business is take your suit jacket off and roll your sleeves up and do that thing where you put your tie inside your shirt so it doesn't flap around. Uh, I've wrestled with my sexuality for a long time. Recently, I've started to just tell myself that I was bi, and lo and behold, my desire for same-sex action went away. I'm not sure if I was actually bi-curious or bored, but now I feel for certain that I am straight. It's weird. I know. I love surveys like that. Thank you so much for that. Um I love surveys that that, that just highlight how complica- how complex we are as, as human beings. Um This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by um a transgender person um named Saren S S E R N. Um I think that's it's hard to tell god i'm gonna be one of those fucking old people that has the big swifty lazar coke bottom glasses is mispronouncing everything uh sarin is 19 raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment um never been sexually abused um never been physically abused not sure uh if there was emotional abuse Um, Darkest Thoughts, sometimes I want my mother, who I love deeply, to get in an accident and die. That way, I wouldn't feel guilty about exposing how much I hurt, because she wants more than anything to help me and won't forgive herself for being unable to. Darkest Secrets, on a bad day, I nearly killed my cat. I hate torture or pain in any form, in myself or others, but one night, I just grabbed my cat's throat and squeezed. I knew what I was doing, but I felt nothing. It wasn't until the cat squeaked for about the fourth time that I realized I was going to kill her. I love my cat, and if I nearly killed it for no reason other than my hand was there, I'm afraid of what I might do to someone else. By the way, many other people have re- reported in the surveys of doing something similar to that, and I just want to send you guys some love and say... um, I certainly don't I'm a huge animal lover and um, it's it's a testament to, to mental illness how powerful mental illness can be and depression and self-hatred and all that other stuff that we can do something that to something that we love and so I encourage you guys to, to forgive yourself and if you really want if you really want to make amends to that animal get help for yourself Look at how look at how I tied that up, all nice and neat. Get help for yourself. I rested my face on my chin, and I had a little smug smile, and I looked up at the stars as I said that. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you, just having my genitals removed. I hate my female parts and just want to be neutral. I always feel isolated since I feel no sexual urges, but I would never give it up. It is so freeing. Um... What do you wish for? To be able to feel awake and rested. Have you shared these things with other? Yes, many people, but no one really seems to understand um, the importance to me. I haven't felt energetic in years, and I'm always just so dead tired. Oh, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. It's terrible. And it's hard sometimes to know, is that because there's something wrong with my body? Is it my mind? Is it my soul? What What is the problem? Where do I need to work on this? And then that just makes me want to nap. This is an awful some moment filled out by Lucille. And um, she writes, a few years ago to cheer up my coworker, I drew a little doodle of a person wearing full winter gear, except for pants and underwear and told them to imagine if they saw this person walking down the street from then on. I always thought it would be awesome to actually see that today. I'm gazing out the window and I notice someone on their balcony Winter coat, boots, scarf, gloves, no pants, no underwear. Only problem, it was a teenage girl, and she was kicking her cat back into her house. It wasn't awesome. I had to put the two cat ones back to back. Um, shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself stuck. Um... She is straight, in her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. My stepfather molested me. The first time I can remember uh, was when I was six. I've never felt safe around men, though I am naturally biologically attracted to them. It takes a long time to build a friendship in which I feel comfortable enough to share proximity with one. Some part of my brain is always of the belief that all men are predators. All fathers molest their daughters. Um... The stepfather experience left me wary of any male contact, but I finally dated a friend when I was 19. He was the only person I've ever told about the abuse. I immediately regretted it because it made it all real. This boyfriend ended up being emotionally abusive, accused me of not loving him if I wouldn't do sexual favors. For example, um, he left me feeling disrespected and small after intimacy. Um, any positive experiences with the abusers. The stepfather was the only dad I had growing up, and the stepfamily was the closest family. Um, I love my aunts and uncles and cousins dearly, though my parents are now divorced. If I tell anyone about the abuse, I would lose everything, and I would ruin their lives as well. You know, when I read that, it really touched me because I thought, but what about your life? But what about you healing? You know? Isn't, Isn't... the healing of the person who received the abuse is much more important than any and you know those people you're worrying about protecting they're going to have people in their life die they're going to handle that they're going to get through that so why would you telling them that be any worse than someone dying you know you're 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 taking on responsibilities that aren't yours their emotional well-being you're trying to carry their pain for them and Man, your your pain bucket is full. Stop putting other people's pain in it. I'm sending you a big, big hug. Um, darkest thoughts. For many reasons, not the least of which being the sexual abuse, I've felt useless and burdensome my entire life. I've often thought of killing myself just so I would stop taking up space, but I wouldn't be able to do anything bloody, probably starve myself to death, and I wouldn't even have to get out of bed. Got to give you points for that one. Deepest, darkest secrets. The abuse is the big one that weighs on me every day. I can't tell anyone. Yet it has come to define me and shape who I am today. I feel so crazy when my mother gets frustrated with me and my behavior because I can't tell her the real reason why I am the way I am. Why I am afraid of people and new relationships, romantic or otherwise. I worry she would never forgive herself if she knew the truth you know if she really loves you if she really is a good mom she will she would want to know this about you any good mother would want to know you know it's a how how could you go wrong with telling her because if she makes it about her then she's fuck her you know what i mean but if you tell her then you've done and and she's able to handle it then it's proof that it was the right thing to do, but I think it's the right thing to do either way. Oh, God, I commented so much on that one. I want to rewind that, but I'm not going to. Uh, Shame and secret survey filled up by a guy who calls himself uh, Sonic Cat. He is bisexual in his 20s, raised in a stable and safe environment, never been sexually, physically, or emotionally abused. Um, Darkest thoughts, I am Facebook friends with a girl I knew in high school. She's a single mother who often posts her struggles on Facebook. I often dream of leaving my wife and stepping into the husband- father role in this woman's life. I guess I just crave having a family and I just don't see it happening with my wife. You might also be a rescuer, you might be a little bit of a love addict deepest darkest secrets. I developed an eating disorder in college. Though I don't actively engage in these behaviors currently, I'm still fascinated in the ANA community. Um, I believe that uh, ANA is short for anorexia. Uh, And secretly wish I had the willpower to resume these behaviors. But uh, I love how you don't give yourself credit for having the willpower to refrain from those behaviors. You say you lack the willpower to engage in them. God, it's amazing how our minds can shit on us Uh, because i am too much of a pussy to flat out kill myself i think my dream is to die slowly from an eating disorder to have a sustained period where i'm in control and to have that be what ushers me out of this world seems perfect to me it was quite eloquent eloquent uh sexual fantasies most powerful to you i often fantasize about being in complete control in the bedroom i know this sounds so lame but i have not felt in control of myself for over a decade so to have complete control over someone else in a sexual setting is very arousing to me. It makes me feel like a bad person to share that because it's completely opposite my personality. Isn't that always how it is though? Our sexual fantasies are so often that part of ourself that, that we can't express in uh, you know, the rest of our lives. Uh, what would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd like to tell my wife that I am not happy. I want to feel that trust that married couples talk about when confiding in one another. Uh, My wife and I both suffer from depression and anxiety. I feel like if I told her this, she wouldn't be able to handle it and might do something drastic. I've always treated her like a child by watering down what I say so that it doesn't upset her. But I have very real feelings that I just cannot water down anymore and still expect to carry any weight. You two are prime candidates for couples counseling. That would be such a good neutral environment to let this stuff out so that if she did start to, um, you know, crumble or whatever, it wouldn't be up to you to rescue her, you know, or, or whatever. The You would have a, a professional there. So sending you a big hug. Sending you a big, big hug. Um, this is a dark one. This is, As if the rest of those were scenes from Willy Wonka. Um, this is shame and secrets filled out by a guy who calls himself shoelaces. He is straight in his 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, but he has been uh, physically and emotionally abused. Um, I was in high school and she was my first actual go- girlfriend. She was known as the town, quote, virgin stealer. And I was getting towards 16 to 17 years old, and all my closest friends were slowly losing their virginity all around me. And my impulsive nature, coupled with desperation, uh, led me to her father's literal crack shack of a trailer where she pulled me into her bed and took my virginity. We began dating. My illness became more prominent as she began feeding me MDMA uh, ecstasy and whatever other drugs might be laying around her father's house. As my ups and downs began ruining me, she would whisper sweet nothings of how no one else could ever love me into my ear. She convinced me for the longest time that I would be utterly alone if I pushed her away. And all the while, she was making it painfully obvious I didn't even have her. She began forcing me to fuck her friends, and the first time she hit me, was after one of those encounters. The physical abuse was then turned upon its head when she claimed we were a BDSM couple. So what would start with her burning me with a a cigarette and slapping me across the face, she would turn into sex in order to make it better, convincing me that I wanted to be choked and hit. This went on for five years with her cheating on me and me hitting back in this toxic, sick symbiosis that forced me to hate myself and her. I am still not secure in love, I am still not secure in sex. I now have to dominate or be dominated to feel sexually gratified, and I don't always get off from it. I just do it. Any positive experiences with your abuser? I don't remember them at this point. I don't count her as a relationship when people ask me about things like this. Only my drug-addled friends who were around during that time even know that she and I were even together, and only in the last year was I able to tell someone that didn't know me at that point in my life about what happened. Darkest Thoughts I want to know what it is like to make another human being fear for their life, to put someone in a position where they know they will die by my hand, but they do not know when or how horrible it will be. I don't like being alone with children under the age of 13. Sometimes I think of sexually abusing them and this thought gives me a rush of domination euphoria. Deepest Darkest Secrets When I was just coming into adolescence, every time I would hold my baby cousin I would get a rock hard erection. I still to this day don't understand why that happened and it hurts and confuses me. I don't like having to see either of those cousins, who are 13 and 10, respectively, and I don't know how to say something like that uh, to even to my therapist. Well, it's good that it's good that you're in therapy, man. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you, and this one's pretty graphic. I have one fantasy that involves my female partner going out and finding a skinny gay boy and bringing him home so that we together can dominate him until he is dehumanized, forcing him to pleasure the both of us together and cleaning up our cum from the floor with his sex toy tongue without ever allowing him a moment of pleasure himself before kicking him out of the house covered in piss, blood, and cum to buy me a pack of cigarettes and then caging him like a dog. I would also like to get him a pretty female companion so that my partner and I can choose which flavor we want for the night. I am a sexual deviant. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Um... I'm sorry I used to make I used you to make myself feel better. Sorry for the busted lip. Sorry for shaming you. Sorry for loving you. Sorry for coming near you. Sorry you fell in love with this patchwork young Frankenstein Stein, dead on the inside and moving like a newborn corpse. I'm sorry. I'm so cold. I'm sorry you didn't have the sun you wanted. What if anything do you wish for to be accepted even with these disgusting feelings? Have you shared any of these things with others? I've shared some of these things with one or two people. Most of the time, I pass it off as a joke. My current partner has heard of the abuse at the hands of my first girlfriend. She was the first person outside of my group of drinking buddies who watched it happen. Um, I have even talked about it uh, with them and we never watched it happen and I have ever talked about it. Sometimes there's typos here and I can't really understand where a sentence begins and ends. Um, we've never really talked about it. I just admitted it happened and we never talked about it again. How do you feel after writing these things down? That I am a fucked up little sex toy. I'm not worth anything more than a pretty toy that is too much fun to play with. That I am a disgusting and frightening sexual individual. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Maybe it isn't our fault. Maybe it isn't something we should feel ashamed about. I don't know how to tell you to do that. Find someone to talk to, find love, find acceptance. Maybe you can find it in the mirror, but that narcissistic bastard only cares about himself. That is, that is one of the most moving, um, intense surveys I think I've ever read on the show. And I'm sending you a lot of love because you sound like you're in a tremendous amount of pain. And, um, I want to encourage you to really stick with thera- therapy and be honest with your your therapist and know that there's a lot of a lot of listeners um and me root, rooting for you this is from uh this is an awfulsome moment survey um i I liked this one because it just it so reminded me of what I experienced and just the description of it was exactly. Uh, Anyway, I'm going to read it. Uh, Filled out by a guy who calls himself leaky computers. Two years ago, I recovered from what could be called a quiet mental break. This break was targeted largely by the finances. Although it was just a raw nerve for about two years prior to this point, I had managed to keep all my mail. I had plenty of unopened bills, plenty of needs immediate actions, and a few of tax information. To prove that I was over my metal break, I did my taxes for the past two years. I hadn't, however, gone to a therapist at this point. I sat down in front of my tax accountant with a stack of coffee-stained, crumpled to hell tax forms. The two of us are sorting through all this information, and the tax accountant gets a little frustrated and asks me, why didn't you just do last year's taxes uh, last year? The question caught me off guard, and so I answered honestly. I told her about how I'd cry on the floor with my arms wrapped around my knees when I saw a credit union commercial, and how I nearly vomited every time I hear the mail lady come to my door. I told her about taking the batteries out of my house phone and my cell phone. I told her about the time I was too afraid to leave my room for two and a half days. After that, her motto became, it's fine. Did you collect Social Security in 2009? I don't know it's fine. Do you remember how many months you worked at company XYZ? I don't remember. It's fine. Looking back, I have no idea how I've never been audited. Oh my God, I know there's a lot of people. I had almost a year of unopened mail on the dining room table until about six months ago. And I'd, I'd take the big pieces, you know, the credit card bills and stuff like that, but anything that, you know, that didn't have a red light glaring on it, um, I just couldn't bring myself to open it, so... That one made me uh, made me chuckle. Um, let's see how we are. I think we got time. I'm going to read. I'm going to read two more things. This is, and the darkness is over, for the most part. <laughs> um, what order do I want to read these in? I'll read this one first. This is a um, being hospitalized uh, survey. And this was filled out by, uh, I think a woman who calls her, yeah, she's bisexual in her 20s, uh, calls herself TVC15. And um, why were you hospitalized? This past December, I had a spectacular manic episode and was eventually escorted by the police to the hospital. Describe your experience. I was kept in a cell, complete with a two-way mirror, for a couple of days. By this point, I had lost touch with reality, and I began believing I was living in a solipsistic world. I think I pronounced that right. I thought my brain was creating everything I experienced. I still can't be sure if this isn't the case. How can we know? I spent the days of mania leading up to the hospital trip, walking around my city, tweeting bizarre poetry, listening to all of Bowie's albums on a loop singing and dancing down the sidewalks and through park trails and taking pictures of everything because everything was so beautiful. Um, most of what I was writing concerned Bowie, his mental illness, how we saw the world, his gender-bending artistic genius, how he was a prophet, how we are the dead. In my psych emergency cell, I did not understand what was happening and still believed I was creating this whole situation. Then I heard a familiar voice. David Bowie came to visit me. He opened the door, I was curled in a corner and couldn't see, and asked, and then insert name, I answered, not right now, thanks, meaning no, I would not like to meet David Bowie right now. He proceeded to talk with his friends, I guess outside my door, about me. I started making hand gestures when I agreed or disagreed with what he was saying. He was charming and very funny. He told me not to be scared and that I wasn't alone. This hallucination convinced me that I really was creating my whole world. That led to the thought, for some reason, that I was dead and in some transitory afterlife situation. The newspapers in my cell and everything I could hear in the hallway outside seemed to confirm this. So I decided, since I had realized this, I was ready to, quote, move on. I kept trying to leave my cell and the police officers outside, kept bringing me back in, saying it's not time yet. I started banging on the door until the nurse came to sedate me. She asked, would you like it orally or by injection? I thought she was asking me how I would like to die. Before they came in with the medication, I kneeled down and exposed my ass. I was trying to be funny, I guess, but I did feel ready to die. Needless to say, they told me to lie down on the bed and before they would enter the, uh, before they would enter the room. Before they injected me, they asked why I wanted an injection, and I answered no reason. I thought these would be my last words. When I woke up in the psychological intensive care unit, there was another patient there named David. I thought it might be Bowie in disguise. He kept asking me to marry him. I kept giving him the finger. At one point, he made a move. I guess he molested me for a few seconds. I was confused. I was so confused. I spent a week on a proper psych ward, delusional the whole time trying to figure out what had happened, uh, what was real. I'm a very rational, soft-spoken, agreeable, and friendly person. I kept my delusions to myself, and the doctors soon released me. It has taken the last few weeks for me to finally return to reality. What happened to me was, of course, very disturbing, but it was also comforting. Conversing with, quote, Bowie, helped me survive in that awful room. Contemplating reality on the psych ward was a profound and life-changing experience. I'm glad I went through all that. I have the perverse desire to have another wild manic episode, even though I know it's selfish and stupid. I see the world differently now. Sometimes things still feel unreal and too beautiful, and that's terrifying, but at the same time, it makes me feel less afraid. I was ready to die in that emergency cell. I was okay with it. I don't think I'm afraid of anything anymore. What people think of me. The expectations of others trying to fit into this messed up and delusional society. I don't believe I'm creating everything anymore, but I understand now how everything we've built up as a civilization is mostly a construct, a way of making sense of the chaos. I'm okay with the chaos now. It's freeing and funny in a weird way to just accept that, to just go with the flow. And I think I should end on that one because that's just you know that i think that's an awfulsome moment it's it's a hospital survey, but that is a a beautiful funny fucked up awfulsome moment and thank you so much for for filling that out and thank you guys um for helping build this community with me um felt really nice to talk about what I've been going through on the on the mic tonight. Um I was kind of nervous before I started recording because I didn't know what I was going to talk about, but I had this feeling inside me that um I knew that I needed I needed to talk about cuz I need to I need that connection. Um But it's so hard sometimes cuz it's just it's just a feeling inside you that you can't put words to. Um and um, I I love that I can be myself on this podcast and um, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea when I um, have those moments but I think most of you like it and um, I like that feeling of acceptance I really like that and I hope you guys um, find your own support group your own support network because it um, it'll save your it'll save your life man it'll make life worth worth living and if, I hope if you're listening tonight um, you feel a little less stuck and I hope you know that you're not alone and um, thanks for listening everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful everybody I know is weird bizarrely way. beautifully, fucked up, in is weird bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird bizarrely way bizarrely
0: beautifully everybody fucked up in some way. weird way